just an injustice to push those sermons only to Easter, but instead those are lived out and, and practiced every single day of our lives. And so it's a, a part of the conversation that should be a, about everything that we do. And, but we do want to remember, because we are here only because of what Christ has done for us. However, I do also want to talk to you about something else. And that is, what is the bigger picture of what Christ has done for us? Not only what has He done for us, but what has He called us to? Uh, If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know we've been in a series called Next. And what we have focused on is what is God saying to us as individuals and as a community? What is God saying to us within our own lives through the Holy Spirit in our hearts? Because we have the Holy Spirit when we follow Christ. But we've been talking about The fact that God will meet us where we are, but He loves us too much to leave us there. So we're starting a new series today called For the Love. And the reason we're doing this is because we've talked over the last year about many different things. We have talked a lot about historical elements that have happened not only in Scripture, but since um, the, the period of the time that Scripture was written. We've talked about what has happened through the Protestant Reformation. We've looked at some lives of some key people in Scripture. And we have focused very heavily on, on some context and content that we find in Scripture. But what I want to do over these next few weeks with you is I want to pull back and simply ask this question, why? Why is all of this what it is? How is God drawing us and calling us and pulling us to the place where He wants us to be? What does it look like for us to not only follow Him, but to fall in love with Him? The reality is that most of us live our lives, if not driven by, at least influenced by, the things that we love or by those who love us. And as we look back over our own lives, what we will sometimes find is that Uh, Certain things that I do, I do for those uh, around me because I love them. And certain things they do for me, they do because they love me. And if you grew up in 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 a life and in a childhood in which you didn't experience much love, that absence of love is just as much directed you as someone who has fully loved you throughout your entire life. Much of our young adult life, it's been, and not just young adult, but even part of childhood. I, I, you know, I remember I had my first girlfriend in second grade. I don't know about you, what your girlfriends were like in second grade, but if I ever had to actually talk to her, it was just panic, you know? I mean, but I would pass her the note, you know, you want to, you go with me, which is, I don't know, do you all say that? Does anybody say that in school now? All the high schoolers are like, you're embarrassing us right now. But, you know, we would pass a note, it would, you, will you go with me, check yes or no? And occasionally I would get a no, but usually I would get a yes, and, and then I would put that kind of, you know, back in my backpack, and I would hold on to it until the next school year rolled around. So, you know, I guess we better make sure we're renewing this thing, or, you know, or you, or you go with me. I'm not spoken to you in a year, but I just want to make sure. And I've shared before the thing that attracted me to that uh, cute little two-year-old, two, uh, <laughs> well, that's a little inappropriate, second grader, second grader was uh, the fact that she loved the Atlanta Falcons and often wore an Atlanta Falcons shirt, which I just thought was the greatest thing ever. And she wore blue jeans, and she didn't carry a purse. She put a wallet in her back pocket, and I thought, you are the most wonderful thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) 
eventually we kind of grew apart. But uh, even in young childhood, aren't we all searching to be loved? Don't we look for that person that's not just going to love us, but who's going to unconditionally love us? They're going to give to us regularly, and, and even when we mess up, and, and I don't do that very often. Don't ask Deidre if that's true or not. I'm just taking my word for it. But if we do mess up, we will still be loved. And in fact, there are few relationships that are as meaningful to us as the ones that accept us as we are and love us no matter what. As we look through what Scripture tells us, and I want to share a lot of Scripture with you, and, and, and uh, my main thing that I want you to see is that God is inviting you into a love relationship with Him, which I know you've heard before, but I want you to start asking some serious questions within your life. Am I in love with Jesus? John three sixteen. Something that all of us learned if we grew up in church said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Some of us grew up in a system where we didn't grow up thinking about God's love and loving Him. We grew up thinking, if I don't do the right thing and God is real, I'm in trouble. And if God chooses to show up and judge me for all the wrong things that I've done in my life, I I don't have a leg to stand on. I am in real trouble here. And when we understand the love of God through the context of judgment and the fear that somehow he's going to be disappointed in us, then it all of a sudden changes the conversation that all of Scripture is about. And we love him because we're supposed to love him, not because he is our greatest treasure. And so For the Love is going to be focused over these next few weeks about what does it look like to truly love like Jesus loved? What does it look like to love as God loves? What does it look like to be radically changed from the inside out through the Holy Spirit that we are people known for our love? And though I wish it weren't true, you know as well as I do, Christians are not always known for their love. When we look over the the span of what's going on in our culture and the way that we communicate now... Well, sometimes Christians can't even stand each other, can we? <laughs> Depending on who we voted for, or maybe even if we don't even go to that direction, maybe, maybe even our favorite sports team, right? Maybe someone's disappointed us. They've hurt our feelings. They haven't given us the attention we feel that we should have gotten. Or, or maybe they've not given to us as much as we feel like we've given to them, and then we feel like something has been taken from us. We've not received a gift of love. The truth is, all of this stuff that we're doing, it really is not about getting into heaven. All that we talk about in this place and all the activities that we're a part of, it really is not about heaven. Heaven is a promise of something that we look forward to and we hope for, and it drives the purpose of our lives and allows us to sacrifice freely and joyfully, knowing that we will receive something wonderful at the end of this life. But That is really not what the gospel is even about. It's really all about love. Love is such a huge topic for us that you realize that more is written on the concept of love than any other topic in 
all of literature and history? I mean, love is the thing that makes us move, it motivates us, it allows us to trudge through when we are hurting and we are worn out. It's the thing that says, I will jump in front of a moving car to save you because I love you. But for many times, what we find is that we are living our lives very differently and I recognize that to begin a series like this, before we can really talk about love, we first have to understand what love is, don't we? Sometimes we have to define things a little differently whenever we go to God because God is so different from our natural tendencies. If we go to the dictionary, that's a normal place to go to find out what something means, and it certainly is a good place to go figure out what our culture says about it. Love, in our dictionary, says that it is a strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties. For example, maternal love for a child. Another definition is attraction based on sexual desire, affection and tenderness felt by lovers. An example, after all these years, they are still very much in love. A third definition, affection based on admiration, benevolence, or common interests. And an assurance of affection. The problem with most of the definitions of love that you and I see that is it's portrayed in the world and it's portrayed on screens, whether it be on Facebook or whether it be in movies or TV series or wherever, the, the idea of love that we see over and over again is really revolving around two key ideas. One is that we feel something for someone that feels good. Or number two, it is all wrapped up in some kind of sexual relationship. Those are the two things that you are going to find over and over and over again. So when we read Scripture and say, God so loved us, does it mean that God felt butterflies in his stomach when he saw us? Is that what it means? Does it mean that he was attracted to us? Like you might have been attracted to your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend. Is is that what it means that God loves us? Is it that we have something in common and, and that's what draws us to love each other? And though Scripture tells us that when we were created, we were created in God's image, that's really it when it comes to what do we have in common with God. And that is, so, is tainted so quickly that that's not why Jesus came to give his life. And so as we look through and try to define this, begin thinking about, well, well how does the world love How do we determine who we're going to love? And often what we find is, is the people that feel that they are loved uh, is based around the idea of how attractive am I? I think women struggle with this a lot more than men do, and and men probably should struggle with how attractive you are more than we should. I'm not all that concerned about how attractive I am. I probably should be. But are you attractive? And that leaves some of us out in the cold, does it not? Don't say Amen. What we see often in television and media, am I drawn to you sexually? Do I have this sexual desire to be with you? Is that really all that it is? Is that really what love is? Oftentimes what love comes down to and how the world loves is that do you have something to offer me that I want and I will reward you with my love if you give me what I want? And a lot of people struggle through relationships with this definition of love. I'm not giving them what they want, so they moved on. How many times have we heard of that? 
We look at our culture and we find men that hit, hit their wives and women that hit their husbands will do so and then proclaim their love for them. And we know that that can't be love. But yet those are the words that we use. The world loves very differently than the way God loves. And God says that if we're going to know Him and we're going to walk and follow with Him, we're not going to love as the world loves. We're going to love as He loves. And so we have to come to the realization that, well, maybe the way God loves is different than the world that we all grew up in, thinking this is love, and maybe we should love differently too. In the world, we don't do anything to hurt anybody's feelings if we love them, but yet sometimes I need my feelings hurt by those who love me. I prefer them to do it than those who don't love me, because then it hurts even worse. But it's necessary. So as we come to this, this is where I want us to spend our time today, and I want to ask you this question, what does God say about love? I'm going to ask you several questions this morning. I want you to really think through this. I'd love for you to, I know you probably all have activities after, and we want you to come to our egg hunt, but I want you to think about some of these questions and take them with you. I want you to ponder them and marinate on them and think about where am I in my relationship with Christ? Do I love Him or do I just need Him to get me into heaven? In Matthew chapter 22, after the Pharisees kept trying to trap Jesus, which are uh, very fun for me to read. I, I love to see when they try to trap Jesus. It's, you, know, kinda, you, you, you just love to see Him kind of put Him in their place. And finally, the Someone comes to him, one of the Pharisees comes to him and says, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Which is the great commandment in the law? He said to him, You shall, what? What's the word? You know, it's interesting that that's the great commandment. It could be, we could, we could assume it could be, You will worship me, is the great commandment. You will build great centers of worship in my name that are inlaid with gold to show everyone my glory. But he didn't say that. So the greatest commandment of all is to love. Now, that's significant. When the creator of the universe says, okay, this is the one most important thing, then that's really an important thing to remember, right? Sometimes I I tell that and to, you know, I'm giving instructions and I'm thinking, okay, here's the one thing you need to remember because if you don't do this, you might die. You know, Jonathan, he's He's going to start mowing the grass. This is his first season to start mowing the grass. And so the conversation is, okay, if you do something wrong, we went through this with Jake. Now we're going through Jonathan. Jake's going, praise the Lord, I need some help. And, and so as Jonathan goes in there, now listen, here's an important thing. Don't cut off your foot, right? Now it doesn't matter if he gets everything else right. If he gets that one thing wrong, it's a bad thing to get wrong, Right? So when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest thing to remember? What's the one thing? If you're going to do one thing, what's the one thing? For us, it's to love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets which we, if you've been with us, have talked about in the last few weeks. That's the most important thing. But what I want to ask you is in verse 37, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. A question that I ask myself, a question for you to ask yourself, do I love God with all my heart? That's a hard question to answer, isn't it? 
But that's the, that's the greatest commandment, you know, love him with everything. But I sometimes have to look in the mirror and say, I quite honestly at this moment do not love him with everything. I love something else more. What is it that we love with everything in our lives? One of the ways we can understand this question when it seems like a subjective question because we are so focused on that love is a feeling and we aren't always in control. In fact, rarely are in control of our feelings. We ask this question and then we wonder, well, how can I know if I love him with everything? I I can't force myself to love him with everything. So a better question may not be just, do I love God with all of my heart? A better question may be, am I constantly wanting more of Jesus? And there are days that, oh, this is absolutely where I'm at. I just want to meditate on Him. I want to think about Him. I want to sing songs to Him. And then there are days that I realize I've gone an entire day or an entire week barely even thinking about Him. Am I constantly wanting more of Jesus? And the reality is in the, in, our, in the church today, a lot of times we struggle in these terms because they do seem and feel so subjective when a list of rules is so much easier to follow. It's so much easier just to do the things we're supposed to do. But what ends up happening is that many of us, when we begin to think about God as just that person that we need in case we die and there is a heaven and a hell, that we make it into the preferable place we tend to just try to please God and not make Him angry with us, right? Sometimes we can justify within our own minds, okay, I, I, I'm really wanting to do this thing. I know God really does not want me to do this thing, but i tell you what, so I can feel better about this because I know this will displease God. I'm, I will do these other good activities to kind of offset the bad stuff that I do. And the truth is, if you're living your life trying to please God and just not making Him angry, you're probably living your life doing that in your relationships with other people too. And many of us struggle with truly being able to not only love someone else, but to be loved by someone else. We put a barricade up, we, a fence up, we just block it because we're just afraid that if we let somebody in, it may go away because in the way of human relationships, that's often what happens. We let someone in, we fully embrace, and then they walk away, and then we experience pain, and so we begin to guard against that. Some people are excellent. They are just professionals at becoming whatever they need to become for whoever they're around because they have learned somewhere along the way the only time I will be loved is if I give them what they want from me. And girls, you're going to find that you're, you're going to have to make decisions of who you're going to be as you grow up because there will be boys that will say, I will love you if you will do for me what I want you to do, but that is not love. Do we truly want more of Jesus? Do we truly love God with all of our hearts? In John 13, verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then verse 35 should cut many of us to our quick, to the core. It says, By this all people will know you are my disciples, if you have what? Love for one another. Again, 
we're not talking about this thing that's just kind of alongside of life. We're talking about the crucial aspects of living is all wrapped up in love. I don't know about your life or the people that you come in contact with, but sometimes I find some people are harder to love than others. Anybody agree with me? Yeah. Uh, Raise your hand if someone's ever said that you're that person. No, I'm kidding. Don't raise your hand. (laughs) And sometimes if I'm honest, I'm harder to love than I should be. Thank you for that. Was that Herman? (laughs) Hey, yeah, okay. Meet me after. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know what's incredibly important and what I find is often incredibly absent when the conversation about Christians comes up is this <laughs> that we would be known for our love. Can we honestly within this room say that our reputation precedes us wherever we go because of our love? Now, we can talk about the church, and it's easy to talk about the church because there are all kinds of other people that make up the church, right? And, you know, there's always a, some bad apple in the bunch that's throwing everything off, and that's not me because we're never the bad apple. It's always somebody else. But can I ask you this? Do the people that you live around, do they know you for your love? Now, sometimes... I would say people know me for my love, by the way that I love. Sometimes it's very easy to determine that if I've given something to someone. I've given them time. I've given them resources. I've given them something. And then it's easy for them to feel loved by me. But what happens when it's time to hold someone accountable? Is that loving someone? See, in the context of the way the world describes love, to be held accountable is not love. That's punishment. And so whether you're holding your children accountable, holding your spouse accountable, holding your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors accountable, literally this is one of the greatest blessings that we have for each other because it keeps us on the path of following Christ, and yet what we perceive that it is is a lack of love. And so one of the things that you often hear from those outside the church is, thou shalt not judge. Which is absolutely true. There is only one judge. But yet within the church, within the body of Christ, we are constantly called to judge each other. Not because one is better than the other, but because it sharpens us so that we can stay focused on experiencing all of Christ. And when we begin to move in another direction, then we begin to miss that fullness. Are we known for our love? Let me ask you this, another question, and this is one that I, I'm not, I don't ask these questions arbitrarily. I, I struggle with these in my, myself. But what do you love most in this world? I love these young children. <laughs> They're so much fun. I tell my children all the time, I loved it when they were, used to be cute. <laughs> and... Uh... <laughs> That's one of my love languages for my children. I call it loving harassment. But uh, what do you love most in this world? When you've got a little one, it's very easy to 
to let that little one completely envelop your entire heart. And that's exactly what God wants. You know, scientists tell us that the reason a child coos and the reason a child looks up longingly at you and smiles is not because they love you. It's because you are what they need at that moment. They are driven inwardly to need you to feed them and to hold them and to change them. And guess what? Uh, Stinky diapers are not attractive things. But you get that little cooing and you get that little giggling and you get that little grin on their face and you know what? I'll go change that diaper. Yes, I will. Yes, you're so cute. You're so cute. Scientists tell us that's inbred in every single child that's born to endear a child into its caregiver. Now that is not to say that your child doesn't love you. But it is to say that God put within us and designed us in such a way that we would be endeared and need each other. What do you love most in this world? Sometimes it's hard to determine that. I love a lot of different things. And, you know, if you do have multiple kids, you're not supposed to love one kid more than the other. And, you know, and I'm supposed to love God with everything, but do I truly love God with everything? And, and sometimes the way that we approach this question of, well, you know, what do I love most? Sometimes we have to ask this question, what do I fear losing most? What am I most afraid of losing in my life? That is probably the thing you love most. What is the thing that you cannot live without? That if you lost this thing, you would no longer want to live. What are the things that you daydream about? What are those things that, that you would literally spend all day, all your time, either with someone or doing something? What is that thing that you could literally do this all day? And you would be perfectly happy to spend the rest of your life doing that. That is the thing you love most in all of your life. What is your greatest treasure? Sometimes when I look at myself, and it's easy for a pastor to, you know, we stand up here and we talk about this stuff like we've got it all under control. It's, you know, I love that assumption about me. It's absolutely not true, but I love that people assume that about me. It makes me feel good. But when I think about what do I love most in this world, where my mind goes to is what do other people think that I love most in this world by watching me? So sometimes it's good to ask those who are close to us, what do you think I love most in this world? And usually the po- those closest to you are right. So as we talk about this love and we talk about all of this, it, it, the, the, the understanding of what it means to love God and what it un- means to be loved by God, it begins to shift into uncomfortable ways because you and I are comfortable with human ways of loving. But God's ways are loving. They make us uncomfortable because they're not natural. They don't just happen We read in 1 John 4, it says this. This changes the whole conversation about love. Anyone who does not love does not know God. What? Because God is love. (laughs) And in in this one verse, everything that you and I know about love is turned upside down. Everything that we see in every place in the world that talks about love is turned upside down because God is the literal embodiment of what love is. In this, the love of God is made manifest among us, and this is where we come to celebrate what we are celebrating today. God sent His only Son in the world so that we might live through Him. This, in this, is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. His love is perfected in us as we love those who are around us. But again, it draws us back to the question, well, how do I love somebody? Should I just feel good about them all the time? You see, most people in the world live their lives believing that's what love is. And then they get frustrated because that feeling fades, doesn't it? I don't care how much you love your spouse. There are days that you don't really feel in love with your spouse. Amen? Don't say amen. That's not good. Not on Easter. Don't do it. But you know it's true. And I know it's true. That we get really frustrated when we feel that to be loved means I need to feel it. But sometimes we don't feel it and then we don't know what to do with that. God is love. And the truth is you cannot truly love, whether it be your husband, your wife, your son or your daughter, your mom or your dad, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, anyone else. You cannot truly love them until you get that God is love and the kind of love that he loves us. It changes everything in every way we see the world, in every way we see this emotion that God is love. And the truth is, if God is love, maybe we should spend more time looking at God to learn about love. One of the exercises that, that I find very meaningful to me, especially if, I, if the world feels out of control... <laughs> And I, f- I feel like things are not going the way I hope that they're going, and I don't feel like I have any way to, to put them back on track as I just think about God and His majesty and His wonder and how great and big He, he is. King Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 5 about coming into the presence of God, not just, not just here, but also in our own personal quiet times. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. And what King Solomon said to be one of the wisest men who ever lived, what is it that he's telling us here? And it is that when we enter into the presence of God, we need to spend more time soaking Him in than telling Him what we need Him to do for us. And when you do that, you will find yourself asking less of God and simply wanting more of Him. If God is really all that great and God is all of that wonderful, then that begins to take over our need to figure our lives out so they will go the way we want them to go. Another question I would ask you, do we see God as He truly is, or are we only seeing our own perception of Him? That's a hard question to answer. Do we really see God as He is? The truth is that your faith and your love is what it is because of how you see God. God, what you believe about Him. 
your faith and the way that you interact with God, your quiet time and wrestling with how big God is. When you go down the road and you see this magnificent sunrise or sunset and you go, that is not just a beautiful sunset, that is God. We look at a child and we realize this is God at work. When we begin to see how God is doing all of these things and then it's an expression of love for us, it changes the way we love and live our lives. It changes the way we interact with Him and how we walk with Him. It truly does change everything. It changes the way we love each other so that we will be known for our love. And yet the crazy thing about being known for our love is the way that you and I will love each other may be unrecognizable to those around us, but something in those with a curious heart will say something is better about that. And that curious heart is the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus knocking on the door saying, I just want to come in and be with you if you'll open the door and let me. His love is overwhelming. His majesty is incredible. Isaiah 40, we read this incredible description. We're we're heavy in Isaiah today because Isaiah's description is so incredible. It says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Which is, again, let me just reiterate, but not spend too much time on the fact that our our need to be engrossed in politics is the wrong use of our time. Jesus even said, this, is, this kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. Do what you got to do to operate in this kingdom, but live in mine. And anytime these political seasons come up, I fear that our reputation of loving one another is just falling to the wayside because we become so venomous because we disagree. And yet we have a different king We have a different one. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? And the, what is being said here is that nothing is like God. No one compares to him. And yet, that God chose to love you. That God who put the, who put the galaxies in space far more numerous than you or I or anyone who ever comes be, behind us will ever be able to count loves you. The God who has put us in orbit so that it would sustain life and has given us the moon so that we would not have to go at any point during the day in total darkness. That God who created so much diversity in the world 
is a God of love. And he did this as an expression of love. God is love. My time's up. Time to go. <laughs> time for the egg hunt. Sorry, I just somebody's turning red now. I don't know who it is. <laughs> to whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? We do, you and I, often want to feel that God has our back, don't we? We're getting through this life. I'm just trying to get through this life, and I just hope God's got my back. But the truth is, is that that puts God in a supporting role in our story and not us in a supporting role in his story. That's often the way we live our lives, and one of the reasons that the church struggles to find authenticity and find God's power among them and to find the glory and the majesty to see in everyday events, to know that heaven is not just a place that's coming, uh, heaven is a place that's here now within the church, within the body of Christ. That, that is a possibility to experience now. We don't experience that so much because we often see God as supporting us rather than we are here for him. It is all about his glory and his majesty. Do we see God truly as he is? When God spoke to Moses, just as he was calling him to take his children out of Egypt, he says in Exodus 3, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, Well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. I love that. You mean tell them my name? I am. His glory and His majesty is far beyond anything that we experience. The fears that you and I live in in this world, we're afraid that we're going to get nuked by North Korea. We're afraid that Russia's going to send another bad meme over Facebook at us and ruin our way of life. You know, we're, we're afraid that we're going to love fully and completely, and yet it will not be returned. We're afraid we're going to get to the end of our life. And you know what? I may not have saved enough money. I may be miserable when I'm no longer able to work. I'm afraid of that. We worry about our health. And you know what's going to happen when I no longer have my health? And get, believe me, I get it. I, my, my brother-in-law came, over, came down the other day, and, and we went to work out. And you, Listen, we're not old. He's older than me. That's the important thing for you to know. But we're not old. Right? I mean, mid-40s, not old. It used to be old. It's not old anymore. But I, half our workout was like, yeah, man, when I do this exercise, it just hurts right here. I, this just really is sore. I just can't really do that. And, you know, my arm, I really can't, you know. And it's pathetic. I mean, we were pathetic at the gym. You know, whenever we walk in and all the high school students are in there, I know they're looking at us like, you know, Maybe you should guys should go to the retirement home or something. But, you know, that, I get it. Whenever we get older, we have fears that we're not going to be able to live life fully. But that's not the life that God called us to. He says, I am, and I love you, and I am here for you. And you will change the way you understand love to be able to love each other in the way that I love you. And it will be glorious and the whole world will notice and people who are living a lie in love are going to say that, that is what I want. And in seeing that, they will be drawn to know God by our love. Interestingly, we don't have any verses that say people will know you by your theological accuracy. 
Not anywhere in Scripture, although many of us live our lives that way. We can around the break table at work or, you know, sometimes around the small group couch. You know, we can, I mean, I can argue my points. And it is fun for me. A good debate's always fun. But never it will be said, people will know that you are my disciples by your ability to parse a Greek verb. Never anywhere in Scripture. Of course, Greek probably wasn't in the Old Testament, but you know. But we will be known for our love for one another. Is it loving to see somebody that is headed for a train wreck and just to say nothing because you know that if you tell them they're headed for a train wreck, they're going to have their feelings hurt? Is that love? The world says, yes, that's love. You should keep your mouth shut and let them just have the consequences for whatever they have, and that is love. But that's not love. The very first thing that you learn when you have a child is that you've got to constantly keep them from killing themselves, don't you? But by the world's definition of love, they should have the absolute freedom to do whatever they want, even walk out into a busy street. And that's silly, isn't it? But that is still the way the world views love. They would never use that example, but that is exactly how the world sees love. When the world is headed for a cultural train wreck and we speak up for the principles of God and they say, you are being judgmental. No, we're trying to love you. But if we do it with venom, it will never be interpreted as love. And so we have the opportunity to be different, different than anyone else on the face of the planet because we have experienced God. The truth is, what we think about God is truly immaterial. (laughs) I like to think I know things about God, but what I think about God is totally immaterial. There is only what is true about God and then what we have misunderstood about Him. God does not conform to the image of what we believe is true about Him. But that is often how we live our lives as Christians. Taking His Word and saying, you know, I really don't think that's what God meant. Because that's a little uncomfortable. You know, when He says I'm supposed to pick up my cross, I really don't think that's what He meant, that I was supposed to give my life uh, for this. But that's what He meant. (laughs) Because when we look at those things, when we assume things about God that are not true, He does not conform to those things. We must approach Him in truth. When we look at sin, our primary problem in all of this love issue, whether I'm in conflict with my family or I'm in conflict with my friends or I'm in conflict with one of you or I'm in conflict with some stranger off the street, Generally, the conflict is a result of sin in some way, but sin is such an ambiguous term, and we've got some defined sins, but so many undefined ones. Sin is, in a very simple definition, self-love. Sin is self-love, and it is the reason we are separated from God and not experiencing His love. Now, again, the world doesn't see love like this, doesn't see self-love as bad. I mean, we've got whole marketing campaigns telling us that we should have high self-esteem and feel good about ourselves, and you know, we should make life all about us, but that is the very thing that leads us away from God, self-love, that I have to be the center of the story and show me a relationship where one person has to be the center of the story that ends well. There's not a one you can bring up. 
Now, there are a lot of people that two people in a relationship are completely in love with themselves, and they are ignorant of the fact that the other one's not loving them because they're taking care of their own needs so well that they can coexist. That is possible. It's not desirable. It is possible. But sin is self-love, and it is the reason that we are separated from God. Isaiah 64 describes it like this. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. What the prophet Isaiah is saying is we are nothing before God, and yet... Isaiah gives such a complete picture of a coming Christ that has not yet come at its writing. To say, even in spite of our filthiness, that we have nothing to offer, that nothing is deserving in us to know God, God has said, I have come because I love you. Now, it's easy if you're a, kind of a, a type of person, your personality is that you're constantly internalizing things. I don't know if you do this. Sometimes I do this. I constantly internalize. You know, something may deserve about 30 seconds of thought. I give it about 30 days of thought. You know, if you're one of those kinds of people, you read these kinds of verses and you just walk away going, I am a terrible person. I am just such a terrible person. And that is a terrible way to live life. The reason we read this over and over in Scripture is not so God can say, you know what, can you all just remember how bad you are? It's not so we can remember how bad we are. It's so we can remember how good He is in His rescue of us. Once we know Christ, our iniquity is taken away. Our sin is gone. We are healed by His stripes. All that we are in living our lives alone and and the best way that we know how is now empowered by the Holy Spirit. God's overwhelming love stands ready to forgive our sin. And this is the next thing that maybe some of us haven't considered, but this is where I want us to go over these next few weeks, is to teach us what love really is. Because if you grew up reading romance novels and watching it on TV and watching bad examples of love that's just a little weird, then you've probably probably got some unrealistic expectations or just some flat wrong expectations of what love is. I love that he is so willing to forgive, and I have such little to offer him. It would be something else if I had something to offer that he wanted. But I don't have that. Romans 5 says, God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore now we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And that was all because of love. He stood on that cross because of love. He took those nails because of love. Scripture tells us that when God spoke everything into creation, it was Jesus who actually did the creating. You can imagine as he was on that cross, nailed to the cross, I can just imagine 
him thinking about all of eternity, all that he experienced, all the beauty, all the wonder, all the love, all that was meant to be in this world that has been corrupted. And his commitment to stay on that cross so that we could have it again. Isaiah 6 is just a beautiful picture of this. It's a vision that Isaiah had where he actually literally entered into the presence of God, into the throne room of God. Literally walked in and there is God in this vision. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the voice was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Verse 7 says, And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And in this very image, I just, I just can't imagine what that will be like, but I do long for it. I think about it. The older I get, I understand Paul more and more. I'm ready to die and be in heaven, but at the same time, I've got work to do here. Because when you begin to see the beauty and the majesty of God, and you begin to, you begin to mourn the corruption of what, was meant to be in the world around you. You long more and more for God, that He would fill you and walk with you, that you would walk in this life, not as someone just trying to get around, trying to get by, but instead you are experiencing the love and the life of God within you. You may be surrounded by people who don't understand love. You may be surrounded by friends and you feel like, you know what, I take one wrong step and they will not be my friend anymore. If I bring up any conversation that is meaningful to me around the family table, then they will all look at me like I'm weird. When I go home, I'm going to go home, and, and the person that I love with all my heart may not even see all the ways that I care about them, and I just feel like they wish they weren't with me. No matter what your story is, no matter whether you came from a family and you were loved incessantly, or whether you came from a family and you never even understood what love was until you became an adult. God is saying, I love you and will be with you every moment. The only thing that can separate you, I will deal with that. I have already dealt with it. And we can walk together. You'll never fully know the power of love until you understand God's love for you. You'll never understand that. I'll sometimes speak with couples and they're like, we're just, we're ready to give up. We're done. And I always begin the same way. I believe God can heal your marriage. Ah, we don't. Well, if you don't, then it's all done. 
But God's love is so full and so complete and so overwhelming. It is so giving and sacrificing. It is so bent on reconciliation and peacemaking. It is so often offered so that we can be filled up when we feel absolutely empty. When you experience that, you realize there's nothing that can stand in my way of loving others. Nothing, absolutely nothing can stop me from loving those. And Scripture is very specific about this, that there is not a single person outside the bounds of who we love. We're supposed to love our families. We're supposed to love our friends. We're supposed to love those we come in contact with. We're supposed to love those who are frustrating. We are supposed to love those who want to kill us. We are supposed to love those who are our enemies. And if we can love those, then how much more can we love those who are our friends? As we look at that, I'd ask you again, do you want more of Jesus? Every relationship that you have right now is affected by how you see God and how you see His love. I know we have family members who have struggled with growing up in a system in which they never felt love. in which they lived almost their entire lives before they heard a parent tell them that they loved them. And in that moment when they heard those words, I love you, for the first time, was like the weight of the world just was lifted off of them that they had carried their entire life. There was just something about being loved that it's, it just ignites a fire in us. So this is what I want to leave you with today. In this season of celebration in which we celebrate Jesus has given his life for us, and that we can, we can know him and walk with him. He has walked out of the grave. He is risen. He is alive. This was all about his love for you. And he so wants to infect you with this love that it infects everyone that you come in contact with. This kind of love allows you to forgive people that never ask your forgiveness. This kind of love is the kind of love that you can love someone and be there for them even though all they ever do is tell you how you're not good enough. This is the kind of love that says, you know what, I will go with you as far as you need me to go with you and no matter what it costs me because you know what, I will give everything that I have because that's what Jesus did for me. So in this season of celebration, let us seek to worship Him. We're going to do one more song, but let us seek to worship the very embodiment of love and receive it in such a way that we, you and I, are forever changed by Him. So these next few weeks are going to be fun. We're going to be hearing some testimonies and some ways God is working among us. We're going to continue to be Seeking out, I, I'm getting your responses for our appreciative inquiries that you've done in your, your groups and the things that I'm seeing, I'm just so excited about what God is saying to you and doing within you and drawing you and by that drawing us to. So excited by that. So as we go through, we're going to break down. In about six weeks, we're going to break down into a, a, a series of mini-series, I guess where we begin to break down what does it look like to actually love people? <laughs> what does that look like in our marriages? What does that look like as parents? What does that look like when we're seeking someone to be our spouse? What does it look like when 
we are loving our coworkers or loving our boss or loving the people that hate us, we're going to begin breaking it down very practically into what does Scripture say about loving these different groups and how do we do that? But as we worship, let's not worship Him because we're supposed to. Let's not worship Him because we may get into heaven if the story's right. But let's worship Him because He loved us and He is magnificent. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank You for Your love and for the examples in this room that constantly love with a self-sacrificial giving love. God, I thank you on the days that I don't feel like loving others, that you remind me that I can be empowered by you and that you will love through me. Father, I pray for those that are grown up in such a way that they've never felt love their entire life. They're just, everything they're living seems fake within their own lives because they don't believe any of it's real. Father, I, I pray that they would have just a, just a taste of your unconditional love for them, no matter how many mistakes we've made, no matter how many faults that we have, no matter how many times we mess up, you still love us fully and completely. And Father, I pray that you would change us so much from the inside out that those that we come in contact with will be touched by your love through us so that we ourselves will be known for our love. Thank you for the gift of salvation and on this day that all the prophecies were true that Jesus did get get up out of that tomb was raised from the dead and is giving us eternal life father let us experience the fullness of that life with you it's in Jesus name that we pray amen amen you guys want to stand and join